Welcome to Educate to Self-Regulate, a podcast for educational leaders, teachers, and students, where in less than 20 minutes, we unpack educational research to support you and your students to become better learners. Shyam, how are you doing? Hey, mate. It's episode 13, which is epic in itself, but it has been a long time between drinks, mate. And it's it good has to see. indeed. And I feel like we're lying to our listeners if we don't break the fourth wall and let them know that while we are recording online, we are actually together for this. So it's been nice to, we've actually <laughs> seen each other twice in person in the one week. And I don't know if that's happened since we actually worked at the same school together, which would have been seven or eight years ago. Yes, I know. And it's a very nostalgic being here at Melbourne Girls Grammar today and you know, and currently based here in Melbourne for the next three months. So we'll be here till early July. So listeners, if you're in Melbourne and keen to catch up for a coffee, hit me up. But now that you're back in Melbourne, that means we're going to have the opportunity to potentially, if we can get our act together technology-wise, record some podcasts live together, which would be beautiful. Can you give the listeners an explanation in no more than 60 seconds why it has taken us so long to record a second episode of the podcast? I feel like you've been really busy doing lots of incredibly important things. What's been going on in your life? Yeah, me personally, I had a lot going on. There's been keynotes, workshops, I'm doing some work with future schools. So I'm actually going to be speaking as one of their focus sessions in term two. So keep an eye out for that. I launched Project Self-Regulated Learning or Project SRL, as I fondly call it, which is a partnership with the Association of Independent Schools and the ACT. We were oversubscribed for that. So it's so great to see that there's just such an interest in the space of self-regulated learning. And that's just a mention too of, you know, the exciting things that are going on. So it's, it's been crazy. It has. It has. So let's get straight into our focus for today. Let's do it. So what we're going to be focusing on today is public speaking we want to come at this episode from the view of public speaking because it's something that lots of people have to do as part of their job and certainly at schools you public speak in front of students all the time and I think most teachers are fairly confident doing that but then whenever you have to speak in front of other adults whether that be at meetings or whole school professional development or whatever uh, that can be a bit more daunting and you've just gone through a really big public speaking event. So I want to basically mine your brain for strategies that you have taken from self-regulated learning and use to help you prepare for and present at your TED Talk in Canberra, which happened last year. It happened late last year and then was only very recently published. And so, yeah, that's that video is on TED com and on youtube it'll be in the show notes we're going to put it in there and we kicked off our first episode for the season sort of framing up cognition and metacognition and while public speaking might not on face value seem related it actually has a lot of connections and i think if we can leverage and make those connections a little bit more explicit we can start to see how self-regulated learning can very easily translate into different contexts and i think public speaking not only for us as adults but a lot of our schools or our students are wanting to do public speaking in different forms and so perhaps these are strategies we can share and well, even last year I had to do a, a farewell speech to departing staff it was like three or four minutes at the end of the year and I was sweating bullets beforehand so because <laughs> that was to all staff whole staff across p to 12 plus all facilities so a couple of hundred people there you go and, and uh, even though it was relatively informal and it wasn't departing knowledge per se, still doesn't change the fact that it's a pretty daunting thing to do. 
Absolutely. I guess the other side of the coin here is so many educators have some really fantastic ideas. So maybe this is a, a plug to for educators to think about, you know, doing a TED Speaking talk. Speaking of conferences uh, yeah. or there may be an educate the self-regulate spot on a conference coming up pretty soon. hundred <laughs> percent. Uh, yes. Let's just say it. Hey, Rory and I are doing some collaborating in the speaker space as well. So we're, we're speaking at the National Education Summit coming up in Melbourne and in Brisbane. And June and August, I think it is. That is, yeah. So check it out and we'll plug that link in the notes for, for anyone who's interested in catching up with us in person. All right. Let's get into it. So very quickly, just to get started, why did you want to do a TED Talk about self-regulated learning? So I was really keen to try and make what I think is an extremely complex domain of knowledge. You know, as you start to dig into it, self-regulated learning just becomes a bit of a black hole. It's an umbrella for so many different terms. Yeah. and I wanted to break down what I had started to understand as a very complex concept into something a bit more digestible and, and as you say, palatable for a more general audience. And I know that we have touched on this in the previous episode, but I think that you did that really, really well, especially with the remote control and TV analogy. I still think about that like at least weekly and really want to use that this year with my students. So I will most definitely be doing that. In preparation for this TED Talk, what did you feel like you had to learn in order to do it well? So it's such a great question. In I'm thinking about the process. Anyone who's thinking about it might seem like a TED Talk so far out of reach. Yeah. And well, on one hand, you want to, even just before you even think about doing a TED Talk, you know, it is an idea worth sharing. You want to have something that you want to share with the world, share with a general audience on a bigger scale and you have to be really passionate about whatever that might be. And so I met a few of the TEDx Canberra team over the last few years and had been encouraged to think about it. I had heard the open mic night last year was coming up. So TEDx Canberra have an open mic night, which is like an audition essentially, and you do a three minute spiel. And so there was an opportunity there to just prepare for a three-minute version of a TED Talk. It was at a pub and it was relatively relaxed in the setup. Yep. But I was supremely nervous on the night. But leading into that, I, first of all, I was like, okay, I really want to say something about self-regulated learning. And I did some preparation to actually map that out. What is it that I wanted to say? People just, who may have absolutely no idea about self-regulated learning or may not even be teachers. Correct. Yes. Yeah. And who may have never heard of the word metacognition. You know, you say metacognition in education circles and the majority will nod their heads. Whereas if you say it to the general public, metacognition is second language. And so it's tier three vocabulary. Yeah. Technical. (laughs) (laughs) And so I had to think really carefully, even for that three minutes, three minutes is not a long time. What do I want to say? And how do I say it in a way that engages a general audience? And many of us watch TED Talks and there's a certain style to a TED Talk that I was attempting to replicate. I did the audition and if I was to critique the Your own performance, my own performance, it felt like failure. Uh, I was extremely nervous. I had a, a number of moments throughout the audition where I was so overwhelmed by nervous energy that I actually blanked out and I couldn't remember the next line. I I had attempted to script and learn this thing off by heart, but had failed in preparation and therefore had felt like I'd failed in performance. And I walked away 
thinking there's no way that audition is going to get me through <laughs> because it just wasn't to the level that I had wanted to perform at. Uh, you obviously set yourself very high standards because it was enough to get you through. And it's an indicator like most people are their own worst critic. 100%. But I'm sure there were things that you wanted to work on, which ties up with this idea that we've spoken about in a previous episode in season one. Even if it was failure by your standards, you were able to then identify things that you needed to do better or wanted to do better in your preparation for the bigger TED event that you managed to get a slot for. In that moment too, when you perceive failure yeah. as a learner, there's the emotional response, which... <laughs> I recognized on the evening of the audition. And then there's the metacognitive component, the self-talk that plays out, which was, okay, take 24 hours to digest this before you say anything to anyone. Like, you know, just, just take 24 hours to sit with this yourself before you actually evaluate and assess the way you're feeling. Is that to like let the emotions subside so you can think about it more critically? hundred percent. Yeah. You know, I was also running off quite high adrenaline. Adrenaline needed time to exit my body and it takes more than sort of 24 hours in some cases. I knew that I just needed to step away from it before trying to problem solve it because my brain automatically goes, right, I've got a problem. This is not where I want to be. How do I change this? And so I recognize very quickly now that I have to just, I like, I literally have to pause my brain and go, no, you're not acting on this in any way, shape and form for at least 24 hours. That's a good strategy for people that they could probably apply in a lot of different areas, not necessarily just related to public speaking. Yeah, I think hitting pause on decision-making is crucial to making good decisions. And I don't think, I think in the fast-paced world that we live in, we're trying to make so many quick decisions to keep up. Especially in the classroom as well. Yeah. Lots of things can happen in the classroom and you sometimes the best thing to do is to choose not to make a decision at that point in time if it's at all possible sometimes you have to choose but especially when it relates to maybe challenging behavior and things like that where emotions can't be high yep hit pause hit pause 24 hours i think if you can 24 hours at, at minimum i think is great so then you start to prepare for the bigger ted event with tedx canberra i was invited as a speaker, not based on the quality of my performance, but because of the quality of the idea. And Beautiful. so this is something to, to recognize too, that while I was being invited, I was receiving feedback that aligned with my experience of, of my own performance, which was that my performance was not great on the audition. But what they had seen past that was the idea. They'd heard the idea and they liked the stories that I was trying to communicate. And perhaps the performance being an audition, they were coming at it holding that lightly anyway it was an audition and it was a first run of an idea in, in some way shape and form so i guess here's a self-regulated learning strategy is they allocate you a speaker coach and i think if there's anything you want to improve on get yourself a coach like it's it's not rocket science and i don't know how many people leverage coaches but i wanted to improve my speaking so they gave me a speaker coach and if they hadn't i probably would have gone out and go on how uh, many coaches do you feel like you're working with just to get to the rate there you don't have to tell them what they're for how many coaches do you feel like you're working with or have worked with in the past year in different realms or different domains? I would say four. And just off the top of my head, so a speaker coach. Yep. A speaker coach, a health and nutrition coach, a business coach, 
a wealth coach. Actually, there's there's five. I'd almost argue that I have a social media strategist who is a coach in some way, shapes and form in terms of marketing yeah. advisory. But yeah, I, I think the proof is in the pudding. Yeah, you know, I just think it's it's in the same way that we recommend to students. So, you know, if you're struggling with something, go and ask for help or find an expert. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. And if we think about Vygotsky's zone of proximal development and what we can achieve on our own and what we can achieve with help, it's just going to move that kind of potential up. So it's a no-brainer in my mind. And so as you're preparing and working on the aspect of your performance that you felt like wasn't up to standard at first was there anything that you were doing to help you become a better speaker now you're polishing the ideas in the background but in terms of your delivery and your speaking how did you learn to be better so that's where i really honed in on the preparation and there's kind of multiple facets to the the preparation and i don't think you necessarily need a speaker coach for this, it depends on how high profile the speaking event is and if you have access to a speaker coach and it's something you can afford, et cetera. But I don't think you need it. So there were a few things that I did in preparation. So one thing was that I really gained clarity on the ideas and I workshopped my script, what I wanted to say in multiple ways, you know, everything from writing out in holes to writing out in dot points to creating stories, to creating images, to creating, you know, things that would help me really transform what was complex language in my head that was hard for me to communicate to others into really digestible. So, you know, for example, the the living room of your mind metaphor yeah. was a story that I was able to create to try and break down some of the complexities of self-regulated learning. And then there's the second part of my TED talk, which was the comparison of kind of two teachers, which was actually a suggestion from my speaker coach. He's like, maybe you can contrast two teachers. And so I just took that and was like, okay, let's try this. And I created this story about a science classroom with two different kind of teachers. And so as you engage in that thinking, as you synthesize it and you make it more digestible for others, you in turn, and this is a cognitive process, right? You encode it better into your own long-term memory. And so I was getting to a point where I was starting to learn and understand my own ideas at a much deeper level where I felt more comfortable talking about it, but I hadn't nailed the script delivery down. And I knew that was going to be a pain point for me. And I was very aware of how nervous and how choked up I could get if I didn't yeah. nail that. Yeah. And this is perhaps another self-regulated learning strategy, which we're both aware of is the power of retrieval practice. And I was able to go, okay, cool. I've got a script now. What I need to do is I need to get to a point where I'm so comfortable that I don't need to look at the script. I don't need to see any prompts that I can just talk for 15 minutes. Scripted, but natural. And I then went through a series of attempts. Literally, I have a tripod. I stuck my phone on it. I hit record and I just put my script away and I just went for it. And every time I tried to record it, I would stumble and I'd stop the recording and I'd go back and I'd reread the script and then I'd put the script away. I'd hit record again. And all I was trying to do was free recall as much as I could in that video recording each time to the point where I could just talk to the camera naturally and scripted without having to look at the script at all. It sounds like such a simple strategy, but the effort to go through that over and over and over again and the embarrassment even that you feel in yourself just looking at the camera and the frustration I'm sure you would have gone through all of those things yeah and I think there's a natural inkling as as learners to and I used to do this at school right and I think our, our young people do it today is that you think that 
actually looking at your notes is going to be better for your brain. So if I just keep going back to my script, back to my script, back to my script, that's going to help me encode it. But actually it's the flip, not looking at the script and just going for the free recall, which is a form of retrieval practice. The effort to remember. Yeah, the effort to retrieve that from my long-term memory actually helps encode it even deeper. And so you start to create more mental space for the stuff that you need to fill in the gaps. Yeah. Because one thing cues another, which then cues another. That's the cues that help you get through. Yeah. And I also was able to realize that there were patterns in the points where I was getting stuck, even if I'd revisited it and I was like, okay, there's something wrong in my script that doesn't allow me to seamlessly segue cognitively from this section to this section. And so what I ended up doing was putting in linking sentences or or a, a short paragraph to help bridge it almost as a prompt a cognitive cue to go, okay, cool. I'm up to that point. Yeah, that's cool. That goes on to the next part. And And the awareness of that probably wouldn't have come without the masses of repetition that you did so that you could kind of reflect upon the areas that you were finding difficult and then put something in place. Yes. To get around that problem. hundred percent. The steps for me were, were video recording, identifying patterns, using that retrieval practice process, and then ditching the script altogether and going live with an audience and not necessarily a TEDx audience, but with my wife and then with my in-laws and then with a set of friends and then going to just the curation team and then getting to the stage. I was committed to performing as best as I could in the time that I had. And even on the day of, I remember getting there and going, okay, I need to minimize any potential triggers that are going to set me off and put me into a spiral. And so I need to get as comfortable with spaces as quickly as possible. So at the minute I got there, you know, while other speakers were kind of sitting in the chairs, I was like, hey, you know, would it be okay if I just jumped up on the stage now and I just stood on that red circle for a moment and I just got up there and I'd start talking. (laughs) I was just trying to normalize any potential environmental factor that would detract from my performance. I have seen that strategy somewhere before and in actual fact, I used that when I did best man speech for my friend about two years ago. So it was in Ireland. So there was a big, a room, everyone goes into a big room. Irish weddings are very different to weddings here. It was in a hotel and I went in before anyone else was allowed in, had a microphone in my hand, found where I was going to be sitting, worked out where I was going to walk as I was holding the microphone, went through the first few points of my speech, uh, like get putting yourself into the environment where you're going to be doing the performance is actually a really well-known strategy. The last thing I want to ask you, is there anything that you learned about your, that you didn't already know going through the process? I realized that, I think people look at me and they go, he can just speak on the stage. And it's actually not the case. I share perhaps the same fear of public speaking that any other person might have. And if anything, I I have been on a journey of failure and progress with public speaking for years. So I think the thing that I was able to prove to myself is that there is a process to speak publicly and perform well. And as long as I enact that process, then I can bring about success for me and the people that I'm speaking to. So that was probably the key learning. If I just put these structures in place, if I leverage the speaker coach, retrieval practice processes and rehearsing in front of an audience, normalizing the environment, practicing really productive self-talk. And we've spoken about this before, like converting nervous energy into excitement. That was was such a simple self-talk strategy that I discovered through the process that was a game changer. 
because it just shifted the way that I actually interpreted my internal energy. What a great way to finish. And I feel like the entire episode has been an on the reg because we really have been talking about self-regulated learning outside of the classroom here. So we'll pick up with the on the reg segment in the next episode. Thanks very much, Sai. Thanks everybody for listening. If you are a new listener to the podcast, make sure you share it with friends, save it or subscribe. And if you have any questions and we really want to hear from our listeners, if you have any questions or comments, send us a DM through either of our social media channels, which is Twitter and Instagram at ed2selfreg. As always, to you and everyone else out there, keep regulating.